nós não passamos a mão na cabeça de ninguém. Eu sou favorável à tortura, tu sabe disso. Eu sei o que é passar fome. O médico Death Lula could send me to puta que pariu. On October 7, around 147 million Brazilians are expected to head to the polling stations, show their ID, and then get into a booth to choose our leaders for the next four years. We will elect a new president, 27 new governors, 513 congressmen, and over 1,000 state lawmakers. But how exactly will that process happen? That's a recurring question from subscribers of the Brazilian Report. And that's the theme of this week's Explaining Brazil podcast. Once again, I'm joined by Diogo Rodrigues, staff writer at the Brazilian Report. Hello, Diogo. Thanks for being here today. Hello. Nice being here again. First of all, Diogo, we can't say that Brazilians will actually cast their ballot. Actually, that's not technically what we do. Yeah, I mean, Brazil has had a electronic voting system since the 2000s, uh, since exactly the year 2000. That's when the, all the elections started to be electronic. They had some tests in 1998, but everything just went electronic in the 2000s, and that's how we vote. I know that in some places like the U.S., they have mixed uh, system with some uh, places being electronic, others whatever, uh, uh, paper ballot. But here everything is just the same, the same uh, voting machine, that's what we call it, and everything works about the same. And Brazilians, they don't pick a candidate by their names, they pick a number, so each party has their number. And for instance, for president and governor, it's a two-digit number, so for instance... Uh, the Workers' Party's number is 13, so people who have voted for Lula in the past, they type 13 and then confirm. For the Social Democrats, it's 45, so it's something that every election is the same number for the same parties. For senators, three di digits. For congressmen, four digits. And for state congress, five digits, which creates some confusions, right? Because not all voters know the, the, the voting order. It's a bit confusing because you have to start with a really long number and uh, then you have to go to the short ones. And uh, some people still have trouble with that, but the truth is, is that the electronic voting system, he had a, an interesting effect in blank and no votes. The number dropped after the first election that we had Uh, the electronic vote all around because now it was it was just easier to 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 know what to do and people would have a hard time writing and that's something that's very important in, in a country that uh, at least until recently not everyone was uh, knew how to read or write and the numbers were you know just easier for people to to you know to vote and they they made the process easier exactly and also because for instance uh when we had paper ballots you had to write down the name of your congressman and uh, that's actually the reason why uh lula has inserted the nickname lula into his legal name because he ran for congress back in the 80s and if people were voting for Lula it would be a spoiled ballot because uh, his name is Luiz Inácio da Silva so he legally changed his name uh, now we don't have that problem when you type down the number you get the photo of the candidate his name his party so it's much simpler like you said the rate of spoiled ballots dropped by half from uh, the 2002 election to uh, 
from the 1998 election to uh, until 2006, for instance. We're, we're talking about all the good, uh, the upsides of electronic ballot, but they are far from a consensus, right? Because parts of the Brazilian political establishment are bashing the electronic voting, saying that the system is easily rigged. Uh, what can you say about that? Well, um, that's a recent thing, I guess, that, that, that they, I mean, uh, every system has its flaws, but recently, in the last, uh, I guess, four years, five years, more people have become vocal about, you know, the problems that the electronic system might have, and they are challenging the electronic system and asking for more, more transparency and, 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 and pointing out problems. There's a professor here at the University of Campinas. He's not against the, the, the electronic system, but he's always pointing out problems, and he was part, include, he was part of a, uh, a hacking uh, marathon that the, the Superior Electoral Court promoted last year, and his team was able to find some, you know, some breaches in the system. I mean, it certainly doesn't, is not perfect, and there are people who, who want to, besides the electronic vote, they want to have a printed vote, like as, as, as like a stub from when you get from the movies, <laughs> in order to avoid frauds, in order to avoid manipulations. And uh, yes, you have like separate recounts, and then uh, exactly in the case you need it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's suspicion of a fraud or anything like that. You could recount the votes, but that's also a problem. I mean, we can talk about that if you want, but yeah. th that's one of the things. Uh, that's one of the discussions that we've been having about the electronic vote. Is that is it safe or is it not safe? Exactly, and the thing is uh, because the most vocal. Um, anti-electronic voting system right now is Jair Bolsonaro, the far-right presidential candidate. And he said time and time again that no matter what the results are, is going to, have to be surrounded by suspicion. But there has not been an actual case where evidence was found that there was fraud. Exactly. Uh, I know the right wing tried to... to to say that in 2014 when Dilma Rousseff got elected by a very narrow margin, mm -hmm. but nothing went further because there was uh, absolutely no evidence. And it's not like you couldn't defraud uh, a paper ballot system, right? Exactly. That's one of the arguments of people who, who question this uh, this view that the electronic system is easily rigged. I mean, one, the, the thing about the, the Electoral Court of Brazil is that it has, it has been very transparent. And whatever problems were found, they tried to address it. And, you know, every electronic system, any electronic system, is subject to be, you know, the, to be invaded or whatever. whatever. Nothing is 100% safe. So uh, we can say that those criticisms sound a little bit like uh, conspiracy theories more than, you know, actual problems. But, you know, there's something that we have to watch for. Yeah, exactly. And I think because a, a recent survey was published showing how much Brazilians are not trusting their institutions. And the electoral system got just 33%. And my opinion, it's not that people think that the system is rigged. Is that in Brazil, we usually say that you may vote for one person for Congress and elect another one. And that's pretty confusing, especially for foreigners who are observing the election. Can you explain what people mean when they say that? The thing is, our proportional system is uh, has a, a way of working that can leave out very well-voted candidates because you have to, there's a threshold of votes that each party has to get in order to 
have a representative. And even if someone individually gets, I don't know, many, many votes, hundreds and thousands of votes, but his party doesn't make it to that threshold, he not, he's not going to get elected. So that's, that might be, that's very confusing for the regular citizens because they don't understand how the system works. But that's one of the things that we have here in the proportional system that confuses people, and that's what you're talking about. Yeah, for instance, just as a comparison, so in the U.S. and in the U.K., the system is first past the post. So uh, states are divided into districts. It's a uh, uh, sta- winner takes it all. Uh, so if you get 10% of the votes and the second place gets nine, you get elected. In France, is a mixed system. You, voters... Um, regions are divided into districts, but that's a majority election in two uh, rounds. So it's more like the way we elect presidents here in Brazil. In Brazil, it's a, it's a different system. It's a proportional system. So in each state, if your party gets 10% of the votes, it gets 10% of the seats. So uh, for instance, let's say in Sao Paulo, we have one million voters, and then you have 100 seats. To elect uh, one congressman, you would have to have at least 1,000 seats. Am I, am I correct with the numbers? <laughs> okay, so l- let's think in numbers, like in, in round numbers. Suppose that you have um, one million uh, valid votes in one, at, at one given state, whatever state it is. And you have 10 vacant seats to be filled for, you know, that for the the House of Representatives. And the threshold that, w- that I was talking about will be of one ho- 100,000 votes. That means the outcome of the number of valid votes divided by the number of seats to be filled. It means that a party or a coalition will have the right to occupy that seat, one seat, at Congress at every 100,000 votes that it gets. So... If our party at the Brazilian Report gets 200,000 votes, the two best voted within our parties will get those seats. Exactly. We have two spots. And since the system, it's called an open list. I mean, the list, uh, the, the people who get in are the people who within that party or coalition, the people who get more votes. So, you know, we'll have the two best uh, uh, representatives, uh, best voted representatives. They will be elected to Congress. There is a caveat, though, because, well, maybe this will be the last time that we have this system as it is, but uh, parties are able now to have legislative coalitions, which means a group of parties acts as a super party. So you can vote for a candidate from party A and then help elect a candidate for party B, which is almost what? One-third of the House every four years gets elected this way, right? Something like this, yes. And it's very upsetting because you, 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 people are not very conscious of what they're doing when they're vote, casting a vote for one party or one specific candidate because it's not always very clear what these coalitions are and who's in it. Yeah, and that gives us a very fragmented Congress. We have now 31 parties represented in Congress. And the Workers' Party, who which has the biggest amount of seats, has 60, which is less than 12% of the House. So impossible to govern without a coalition. I think Brazil is 
the Western country with the highest amount of parties represented in parliament. Yes, and, and another problem is that there's a, a very strong migration within those parties whenever the election is over. So, you know, uh, representatives from a party that got a majority or whatever got a spot in, in Congress will go to another party because, you know, it's more interesting for him or because the party offers more, you know, more advantages and then it wants to get a stronger coalition within Congress. So that gets deformed as the as the, the years go on, as the, years, as the years pass by. And like you said, after the election, it's a game that parties try to lure uh, congressmen into migrating to them. Because the thing is, once the election comes, then free t television and radio airtime and public funding for campaigns will be split among parties according to their representation in the House, right? So, for instance, Geraldo Alckmin, the center-right candidate, he has what one of his allies called the biggest coalition in the Western Hemisphere. Um, he has 44% of TV and radio airtime, 44% of the public electoral front created by Congress to fund campaigns. Yes. And uh, that's the, another problem is that it's very easy to create a party in Brazil. There's a strong incentive to create a party because you want to be part of that game. Because if you manage to get into a coalition with like the PSDB or the the PP or the 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 Centrão parties the big center parties you can get in that you know the division of of money and even though you're a small party and you get a lot of money because you were elected with a strong coalition until now you didn't have to do much to have access to that money and that free TV and radio airtime because even if you had never Uh, elected one single representative in the party's whole existence, you would be entitled to have the minimum share of TV uh, and radio airtime and of the electoral fund. Starting in 2020, parties that don't have this year at least 1.5% of the votes in at least nine states and uh, 1% of the votes in every single state will not meet the minimum requirement to get access to public funds and to free TV and radio airtime, which will probably reduce the number of parties we have right now. That's one of the attempts uh, to make the system less fragmented, but we don't know if that's going to work. And some criticisms that people made about this and specialists made is that uh, smaller parties will not have the chance to thrive because they'll have to I mean that that's a very big, big threshold it seems like it's small but it's a quite quite a big threshold I mean at the same time that it will prevent you know insignificant parties from having access to the the electoral funds but it will also prevent new parties that are truly representative from having that same access so that's one of the criticisms that can be made Exactly, because uh, a lot of political scientists have always asked for this electoral threshold because it's not a healthy political system w when you have over 30 parties in Congress. But it's funny because Congress passed this new legislation when the country asks for renewal. And what they do is to lock down the system and to say, okay, the big parties, the old-timers will have all the money, all the free TV and, air uh, and radio airtime. And then 
the new ones get the crumbles. Uh, in a country where TV remains a very important media, that's very crippling for, let's say, Guilherme Boulos, with whom we talked to uh, prior today, with Marina Silva, the environmentalist candidate. She will have, what, 12 seconds every day to say her message. I mean, do what do you have time to say in 12 seconds? Go to my website? Not much. <laughs> Uh, Jair Bolsonaro, the far-right candidate, would not have much time. So you will have the Workers' Party, whoever the candidate is, and you will have Geraldo Alckmin being able to almost monopolize TV, uh, political ads on TV and radio. Yeah, in practice, this, what this is doing and is going to do is to perpetuate the system that is already in place. It doesn't bring, it doesn't allow any change to to come from parties. So that's a big problem because I mean we were talking about how the how Brazilians are not do not trust in the in, in elections and in parties. So I think that's going to be to do more damage than good to the political parties and to the political system. And Jogo, we were talking about uh, TV political ads on TV and radio. And Brazil has a very specific campaign time frame, right? It's not like in the U.S. when they start with the primaries, and then they it seems like they're always on campaign, especially because they have the midterms uh, two years after the, the, the presidential election. So Americans seems always to be on campaign. In Brazil, that's not the case at all, right? Exactly. I mean, you can campaign... Uh, in a general way, for 52 days from August 16 to October the 6th this year, and uh, the TV and radio campaigns, which use the public airwaves and the, you know all the channels, the public channels, not the the cable channels, can go for 35 days from August 30, 31st to October 4th. So it's a very narrow window and a very uh, specific window. Yeah, even debates are heavily regulated. If if you have a Uh, a public television network or a radio station, which, like you said, it's public concessions. Uh, you have to invite every single candidate uh, whose party has at least five uh, representatives. It doesn't matter how competitive this candidate is. And now, with social media, a lot of websites and a lot of media outlets are trying to do uh, on YouTube uh, this kind of debate with four, five candidates to try to make the debate more qualified because last week we saw the first presidential debate and it didn't seem like any of the candidates had much airtime to spread their message and to really make a statement about any of the issues. Yeah, exactly. And these laws were created, well, it was an attempt to uh, to diminish the influence of economical power, economic power on the campaign but what it's doing now it's limiting what can be said and how how long you can debate and uh and it's not up to date with what we have here because social media you can do whatever you want on also on youtube i mean in terms of debating and in terms of of who you can bring to to debate it's a very outdated system i think it needs some improvement because i mean what it does is just it just makes it boring and and and, and it And the public doesn't get anything from it because it's so uh, structured, so limited. Yeah. Uh, once again, I don't think we're going to have much renewal. I think 
re-election rates in Congress are going to be as high as ever, in the, especially in the moment where Brazilians want renewal at all costs. So I don't think that uh, this election will be any good to make the political environment in Brazil much more peaceful than it is right now. Yes, I mean, people have been talking about change since 2013, but little has been done in order for that to actually happen. This, the political system is 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 frozen the electoral system is frozen so there's not you cannot expect any change from what is the way it always was well on this note not a very positive one but uh we're out of time so thanks Diogo. next week we'll be here to talk a bit more about the election the challenges of the new president and uh, what are the main issues of this campaign If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a look at our website. It's Brazilian.report. Every day we have new content on Brazilian politics, economics, and society. We also have exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed on what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 14 days. It's really for free. You don't have to put any credit card information. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week. Mm-hmm.